Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Who has scars from things that we've done in the past? That was then. It's not now. And I think people need to be comfortable about saying, okay, you know, I've lived life, and, and that's part of what happened. It's not... It's not something you should be blaming yourself for. It happens. It's, 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 viruses are transmitted sexually. That happens to be how they survive and get from one body to another. It's not that you've done something bad. And, and people should start to think about viruses as just part of their medical history and not about these, these things that are bad. Let's talk about them. It's, it's for the child's sake, you know. Let's, let's remember, we want to make sure the child is brought into the world with as, as least risk as possible. Hello, listener, and welcome to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast. I'm Wes, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking to the amazing Dr. Carol Gilling-Smith, who's the medical director and CEO of the Agora Clinic in Brighton. So this episode will be helpful for anyone who's involved in surrogacy. Have a listen. It's a really interesting episode, and I'll be back with you at the end. Thank you for taking the time to come into the studio. Thank you for introducing me and it's lovely to be here. Now, this episode is all about HIV, STIs and how they impact a surrogacy journey. Now, I think when Michael and I think back to the start of our first journey, we knew we needed to have screening done at our clinic, but that was just as part of the process. Now, Carol, tell us a little bit more about why screening is important on a surrogacy journey and the type of screening that is typically done on a, a general surrogacy journey. Okay, what is important to remember is that as an intended parent, whether it's eggs or sperm that you're providing, you are going to be regarded as a donor in terms of the UK law. And the law is set in stone by the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority, or HFEA. And that sort of guidebook dictates that certain screening tests have to be done. And the tests that are going to be done before you are able to provide eggs or sperm is HIV, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. They're all viral diseases and other STIs, which are chlamydia, gonorrhea and syphilis. And we need to have a, a negative screen for all of those in, in order to proceed with the surrogacy part of the journey. So the donor has to be providing samples and have screening prior to providing the samples and after a quarantine period of at least three months to have a retest. And you talk about quarantine then, it's an interesting point because we get asked this a lot. Talk to us about why sperm 
is quarantined. Embryos created using donor sperm has to be quarantined because there's a kind of little window period where you might have a negative screening test but actually have the virus developing in your body. And therefore, by retesting after a three-month period, you assure yourself that when the samples were provided, they were at a time when you were not, you know, infected. You're not going to provide samples all on one day. You may do so over several visits to the clinic. And during that time, you could become infected. You probably won't because people who are are doing treatment are very conscious of the reason not to have STIs or or put themselves at risk to catch STIs. But it is important to have that quarantine period. So we do, we always do that. And that's part of the regulatory requirement. And you mentioned there, Carol, about quarantining sperm, but also quarantining embryos. Is the quarantine period for sperm and embryos the same period? Or is one shorter, one longer? What would, just it's, talk to it's, us about. The period is, is three months. It's a, it's a three-month quarantine period. For both? Yes. Let's talk about historical infections. Now, I have recently learned that if you've had a historic or a previous infection, let's say syphilis as an example, that that stays within your system and can potentially be detected through any of this screening that you just referred to. Yes, syphilis is a very good example where you can differentiate between current active infection and past infection. And syphilis is one of those infections or STIs that you can proceed with, you know, a surrogacy arrangement and be a a donor of sperm uh, or eggs and have past infection. But provided your screen shows no active infection at the time of donating a sample, it's fine to proceed. And I think there's there's still stigma involved in STIs. And I think we're going to talk about HIV and stigma in in a second. But how should a, a set of intended parents, so I'm sure you see all sorts, with your patients going to the clinics how should a set of intended parents who potentially know they've got a historical infection but they're really apprehensive going to a clinic knowing that it's obviously going to be picked up on screening what piece of advice would you give to some intended parents who potentially in that situation STI is quite common and and people have acquired STIs all through their lives in the particularly in the early parts of forming relationships and they know they're no more specific, you know, and seen more frequently in those going through a surrogacy arrangement than in those heterosexual couples who present having been together perhaps for, for 10 years. They're history. They're part of a history. And, you know, when I see couples who come to me, we ask about past infection in a, in a heterosexual situation, they'll have disclosed to me in front of each other that they may have had chlamydia with an ex-partner or they may have had you know, syphilis or gonorrhea with an ex-partner. That is, is quite healthy because you need to know about somebody and their past. And I think with something so special as a surrogacy arrangement, I don't think anyone should be embarrassed about saying, well, actually, that was, that was kind of part of my life journey. You could have, could have experimented with, with drugs in the past. And I don't think, I don't think it matters because we all, have, we all have scars from things that we've done in the past that was then. It's not now. And I think people need to be comfortable about saying, OK, you know, I've lived life and, and that's part of what happened. It's not it's not something you should be blaming yourself for. It happens. I mean, you know, who's, who's had COVID? Who hasn't had COVID? It, it's you're in a situation. You pick up a virus. You haven't done anything bad. It's 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 viruses are transmitted sexually. That happens to be how they survive and get from one body to another. It's not that you've done something bad. And, and people should start to think about viruses as just part of their medical history and not about these these things that are bad. Let's talk about them. 
No, I think that's a really valid point. And, you know, from your experience, it's it's great to hear that you advise intended parents that you're you're consulting, that it is part of their history and don't be ashamed of it. It's just, just own it. And I know that's easier said than done, but it would be good for our listener to hear those words of wisdom from, uh, from an experienced clinician who deals with STIs all the time. Are there any other STIs? I know we mentioned syphilis. Are there any others that kind of stay present in some some form within your body or, or is, is syphilis the only one? I mean, you can acquire hepatitis. You, you can acquire hepatitis B through blood transfusions, but you can also acquire it sexually. Not that much, but you can. It's, a, it's it's passed quite easily. So particularly with, if you have anal sex, it's more it's more prominent if you're having anal sex. But you, you can still have virus, active virus present and, and evidence of, of current infection. So that's sometimes a bit, a bit more difficult to deal with. As it happens, current law doesn't allow you to uh, to be a, a donor of of sperm or eggs and go into a surrogacy arrangement if you have active infection with with hepatitis B C or HIV if you're if you even past infections you, it's it's it that if you've got HIV hepatitis B or C evident on your screening test that's it you're you're not able to have treatment even if you don't have any active virus present and and that's because the the law hasn't changed with the times and the law hasn't moved with the ability that we now have uh, with modern science to treat these viral infections. Well, that's a really good intro into us talking about HIV because I think, unfortunately, Carol, we see this and, you know, we're doing a lot of work to try and change this, but there's still a lot of stigma associated with, with HIV generally. And I know that it's changing, but it's still not where it needs to be, I don't think. If you had an intended parent in front of you who said they were HIV positive, but they want to look at their family building options, what would you say to them? What would you recommend? If they were in a heterosexual relationship, we wouldn't change anything. They would come through the IVF clinic and we would we would treat them like any other couple. The vast majority, if not all, HIV positive men and women that I see these days are on very effective antiretroviral, which is which is a big word, but it means virus-suppressing drug treatment. That's been around now for two decades. It's highly effective, and it means that there's no virus detectable in the blood, and therefore they are sexually non-infectious. By definition, they can have unprotected sex. And when we see them, it's because they need help to have a baby through IVF or, or another you know form of treatment. The moment that they become a donor... The, we can't treat them. By law, we cannot treat them, even though they are still sexually non-infectious. And, and that's very sad because, the, you know, the, the treatments have progressed so much. We now talk about U equals U, undetectable virus equals untransmissible virus. You can lead a normal life. You have a good life expectancy with HIV. You can have, you know, children in a normal way. But you can't if you are planning to be an intended parent and need a surrogate. And yet there's no difference in terms of the your treatment. You're, you're an HIV positive person who is fully, whose virus is fully suppressed by medication. I suppose then it's like, so if, if that isn't an option, if you are a HIV positive homosexual guy in the UK, how would you then look at what would your family building options be? You know, would it, I'm assuming it's just an international surrogacy where thankfully there are some countries which will treat HIV positive patients who... Uh, again through surrogacy so the options would be the US Canada Cyprus those types of options are uh, those are the ones that are only accessible to 
those types of patients and it doesn't seem fair. It's not fair and, and actually it, it's not safe because a lot of the what, are the what we're trying to achieve in the UK is is really safe treatment. So I, for example, encourage same-sex women to come to my clinic and to have donor sperm treatment because then they, they can have properly screened donor sperm, whether it's a known donor or from a, a, a donor sperm bank. They can have fertility screening to make sure we put them on the right treatment. They can have all the emotional support through you know, a, a very, very good team. They can have counselling. They can have legal advice. They can complete the legal parenthood forms. All of that is very safe. Likewise, with gay guys who want to have you know, a child through surrogacy, there's a whole package of support that we can make that parenting journey safe. But once you start to sort of have to grope around where do I go from here most of them would say well I, we can't afford to go to the states or Canada to do surrogacy so they go home and uh, you know they try at home it all becomes very murky you know produce some sperm at home and you know see if we can find somebody who will carry the baby so it and then you've got no legal support the whole thing is far from ideal and it's actually not at all what the HFEA want they want the complete opposite they want things to be nice and crystal clear so that the law at the moment is behind the times i i have had consultations with couples even couples abroad you know where i've said look you know if you want to use uh, this known donor who's hiv positive let's make sure we've got all these screening tests let me have a look at it and make sure i do all the you know the viral screening let me just check it for you yes he's on the right he's on the right medication he's totally virally suppressed He's, he's in a monogamous relationship. He's totally safe to use. And I, get, I guide them. I don't give them anything more than guidance if they want to use a positive donor. But it's not done in a clinic and it's not done with all the support that they should really be entitled to. I suppose it's always about trying to guide people to a safe environment so that they do all of the checks and balances. They, they're they very well informed. They understand the risk. And also that everyone who's involved consents and is also fully aware of the risks. As we're just talking about risks, let's just go back to SDI. So in terms of a surrogate, is there any risk to a surrogate if an intended parent has any historical infections? What's the level of risk and what would we say to a surrogate? How would we approach that? I, I think we, we know that if somebody is fully screened to our current standards and has historical infection, they do not pose a risk to the surrogate. Do remember to be placing an embryo created through sperm donation, egg donation. There's been a lot of processing going on in the laboratory and you know the sperm has been washed and centrifuged at least twice. I mean, it, we used to do something called sperm sperm washing and effectively there is still an element of sperm washing in any IVF process to create embryos so you know the sperm's been cleaned and and therefore when you place an embryo in a gestational surrogacy arrangement where an embryo is being created by an egg donor and and sperm and placed into the uterus you've 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 processed the sperm likewise if your if your surrogate is providing the egg the sperm is placed in the uterus has been processed and washed so there's an awful uh, an awful lot of, of, of purification of the sperm. But if the test in the blood is negative and the genital swabs are negative for current infection, I think the surrogate can be assured she's not at risk. And do you think, so if a set of IPs, would they have to disclose any historical infections to the surrogate? Just, you know, in the full disclosure element, 
I think it's best practice to be totally open and transparent and honest. And, I, and as I said, at the, you know, in, in an answer to an earlier question, is I think this honesty is something that you would see in a, another heterosexual couple or in same-sex couples between each other. And I think when you you form a you form a bond with that surrogate because they are they are carrying your child for nine months. I I don't think people should be embarrassed or worried. I think they should be open, honest, and transparent, just as they should be with the clinic. They don't always tell us uh, historical infection, but you know I think it's good because we will pick it up and i think that's about giving intended parents the reassurance that even it will be picked up but mm. let's just kind of make sure that there's no stigma involved and that it's dealt with in a very sensitive and respectful way it's our job as my surrogacy journey to make sure that we educate surrogates to this element and this is really one of the main reasons for this podcast so that we are helping to educate everyone and understand complexities of hiv and stis but also giving everyone the right information to allow them to make the best decision just flip it on its head. I mean, you would want the surrogate to probably say a little bit about their past history. You would expect them to disclose. And I think let's just get it out on the table. You know, let's just sit down and work out. Let's just talk about, you know, there's little scars we've got that we, we don't like to talk about. But let's just get it out on the table. And it might be, ex, you know, somebody was smoking and, and doesn't smoke. But it's, it's important that you know what the surrogate has been through. And I think the surrogate should have that equal opportunity of discovering and and it's as i say it's part of normal life you know we there's there's nothing shameful no and i think actually you raise a really good point there because we're really focused on you know what the ips potentially have had and talking to the uh, surrogate about it but equally like you say let's flip it it's a two-way street mm. and surrogates have equally had a history you know they may have had historical infections and it is about just being like you say getting it all on the table if you're gonna develop this relationship honesty from the start is a really important factor one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Carol, those intended parents who are not using the UK to 
create their family and they're using an international, say Canada or the US, how would screening affect them? Would they need to do the same level of screening for an international journey as they would for a UK journey? No, they're going to have to do different screening because we're regulated by the HFEA. The Americans are regulated by a different regulatory body. Every country is different. So what we would always ask um, is for... Uh, the intended parents to actually say to us, right, where, where do you want to go? Where are you planning to have the treatment? And give us a list of what, what that clinic is asking you for. And we can always help with that. We can always assist with that if, if they're not sure who to ask or what to ask. And then we get the full set. And, you know, usually the USA is, is, is about four pages of tests and it's much more complex. I mean, their, their requirements are usually and going to involve a further set of tests that we wouldn't regard in this country as particularly relevant. They often have blood tests for different conditions. And, and the Canada and, and other countries in Europe might be different as well. And I think that's, you know, a really valid point. It's about, you know, understand where you're going to do your journey. If you're a member of My Struggles Journey, you can get all of that information through our educational content, which is accessible through our member portal. So, Carol, we've talked a lot about IP screening. Let's talk about surrogate screening, because obviously everyone involved in this surrogacy journey who's having treatment needs to be screened. So let's talk about surrogate screening. What are the type of elements that are covered through surrogate screening? On the, on the STIs, it's pretty well the same as the intended parents. So you've got to cover the HIV, hepatitis B and C, chlamydia, syphilis and gonorrhea um, screening. And uh, the, the surrogate has to be negative. So, you know, sometimes it's quite sad because if somebody wishes to be a surrogate and they happen to be HIV positive but completely treated with a negative viral load, they can't be somebody's surrogate if they, if they want to be. And in, in terms of known surrogates, that can be quite harsh. And Carol, you know, we talk about we're, we're a surrogacy organisation, we help people understand all of that, but also guide them through the screening process. What would be your advice to those? We all know that there's an independent sector out there. There's, there's an ind- independent who choose not to use an organisation based on Facebook groups, do it all themselves. Often it's traditional surrogacy and it's potentially home insemination. What, as a clinician, bearing in mind this is all about uh, STIs, what would your advice be to those intended parents who are doing home insemination should they be tested? Should they test beforehand? Should they get the surrogate tested? What would be your best advice to those intended parents who are choosing an independent route or potentially doing home insemination? Well, you've got the list today of, of the tests that we would normally require as, as, as best practice in the in the UK. And all of those tests are done by the sexual health clinics. So it it's a simple matter of walking into a sexual health clinic, surrogate, intended parents, get those checks done before you start and sign on the dotted line that you're that you're going to keep yourself risk-free during the time that you're going to go into that treatment process or otherwise have very regular checks. One of the other things that I hear sometimes is that people who have been on a sibling journey with the same surrogate they did STI screening at the, when, they, when they had their first child but they don't necessarily think that they need to do screening again because they're all happy and everything's moving along nicely. Do you think that's a safe approach? No, because we don't take that approach with heterosexual couples who, you know, they've had a child at the clinic with IVF and they come back. We have to screen them again within three months of them sort of having the eggs collected for an IVF journey. And it's because whether we like to admit it or not, things can, things can change. And if, if we've got the piece of paper that says you've screened negative, everybody's got the reassurance, whether you're coming through a clinic or you're doing this at home in a different way, 
I think it's for the child's sake. You know, let's let's remember we want to make sure the child is brought into the world with as, as least risk as possible. And we know that, th- that there is a risk in some of these conditions of of congenital, you know, passing on virus, vertical transmission, passing on virus to a child. And that's why it's there. It's got got to protect the child. And you know, the premise we have in in all our fertility treatments is you know, it's the welfare of the child. It's really we don't offer treatment unless we've assured ourselves of the welfare of the child. That's really really interesting to hear. And I think often and sometimes you lose sight on the element, the child element and the welfare of the child because I think you're so fixated on the process to get to that child and I think you can sometimes often lose sight. So it's really great, Carol, for you to bring that us back to that really important element about the welfare of the child because ultimately that's what everyone's there to, to ensure. Carol, thank you. That was really, really interesting and I feel like I learned something from every episode it's so amazing to have some healthcare professionals and clinicians on these podcasts because they give us real facts and a real insight into the reality of the topic so one of the takeaways from this particular episode for me is about stigma and i know that some people may feel stigma and it's still around and i get that but you know hear it from carol herself this is common everyone at some point i'm sure has has dealt with this particular uh, element so just own it So guys, if you want to listen to more episodes in this series, then head over to Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify and the My Surrogacy Journey members portal. Thank you and goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.